It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I'm joined for day number three at the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis with our man on the scene covering the Indianapolis Colts and the NFL for the Herald Bulletin and CNHI Sports in Indianapolis, Mr. George Bremer. George, I hear that the snow stopped. It's still cold, but we're trending in the right direction in Indy, and that's a good thing. The arrow is pointing in the right direction. I mean, as long as you're just looking out the window right now, it's a beautiful day. As long as you don't actually step outside, it's a beautiful day. That's pretty much the way it is in the New York, New Jersey area. It's very windy outside once you step out there. It looks really nice. It's very sunny and bright, but it's very, very windy here. So I guess it's a good thing that the Combine isn't outdoors in New York or New Jersey right now, and instead it's indoors at Indianapolis, where a lot of really good front seven prospects showed up to talk to the media today. The Jets are not going to be taking anybody on the defensive line, but there are some edge prospects they might want to pay attention to, and Jets fans should pay attention to the guys on the front seven, even up front on the defensive line, because some of those guys could creep ahead of the Jets in the draft order and push some of the offensive linemen down, and they could be guys that could be taken in later rounds and push other guys down to the Jets in the second, third, or even fourth round. So let's get into some of these. One of the more interesting guys is Penn State's Yatur Grossmatos, who, depending on who you talk to, could go in the first round, could go in the second round. Explosive kid. He was there, said he had 12 teams talk to him, huh? Yeah, he said he's already had 12 formal interviews, and uh, you know, most of these defensive guys we're talking about 30 or more, so you're talking about the whole league, you know, for, for all intents and purposes. Uh, and I think that's going to be the case with him as well. He's a guy who I think it's interesting in league circles. I think they feel like he's one of those guys who hasn't quite yet uh, put it all together. You know, he's got really good numbers, and he's got flashes. Um, I think they're waiting to see what what he can do when he's able to put the technique and the power and the speed all together at the same time. Uh, I think that's why you see him, you know, everywhere from in the middle of the first round to, you know, day two and, and beyond because, you know, it's as it is with just about everybody, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. I think in his case, it's, it's how much do you buy into that ceiling and how much do you believe, you know, in his potential to get there. And you said some of these guys have talked to as many as 30 teams. One of the guys who said that was South Carolina's Javon Kinlaw, who's not going to compete during the drills because he's still rehabbing. He has an incredible story, George. Apparently, he was homeless for part of his youth. Yeah, he's uh, he's one of those guys who I think the human interest story is really going to be big during the draft. Uh, he was definitely a popular guy here today. Uh, homeless, uh, at least for part of his childhood, is not a good chunk of it. 
uh, he, he said straight up, you know, he went to junior college. A lot of people talk about, oh, you're going there because you're trying to, to get a D1 offer. You know, you're trying to catch the eyes of, of the NFL eventually. And he said none of that really was, was on his mind. He went there because he wanted to make sure he had a place to sleep. And I think that kind of puts everything into perspective here today. And this is a guy who could go in the top 10 or will certainly go in the top 20. Uh, you know, the, the future is extremely bright for him. And, and if you're really good with guys like that, uh, I think he also said, you know, on his way to college from, I believe he said DC to South Carolina on his way to, he rode a bu- uh, bus. He was on a Greyhound bus, which first and foremost, I want to know how he got on there. I don't know, know many Greyhounds that will fit a defensive tackle his size that I've seen. Uh, but you can imagine him 11 hours or whatever on a bus. Uh, not a fun ride, but uh, he's put in a lot of sacrifice. All these guys have. Uh, him, though, probably a little more than others. And I think he's going to be a guy that on draft day a lot of people are going to be rooting for. He absolutely dominated the Senior Bowl and is probably the second most coveted interior defensive lineman in this class. The number one guy is Derek Brown of Auburn. He's drawn some comparisons to the Jets' number three overall pick from last year, Quinnen Williams. And he had some interesting things to say at the Combine. And by the way, he topped Kinlaw because Kinlaw said he met with 30 teams and Brown said he's met with all 32. So take that, Javon Kinlaw. (laughs) I don't doubt the Browns met with all 32 either. I think he's a guy literally everybody in this league would love to put on his team. Uh, One of the interesting stories that he told today was asked about John Randall, who's one of the, uh, I don't know what they're calling them, mentors, I think, uh, that are here. The NFL's got a lot of guys who our Hall of Fame caliber guys uh, around working with the, the draft prospects. And uh, apparently Brown had never really met him, didn't know a whole lot about him, got to meet him last night uh, for dinner and some of the get-together type of things that they're working on, some of the social you know, elements. And he said someone had told him to go back to the hotel and, and watch film, and he did. And he came away thinking, man, that guy's a monster. Uh, so he became a fan of John Randall. Uh, this week, it, all, apparently this week here uh, in Indy, and he's a guy that I think their games are very similar. It'll be interesting to see. Derek Brown could be, in, in some ways, the next John Randall in this league. That would be a good thing for him to aim for because John Randall is the best interior speed rusher I've ever seen. Just an absolute force in Minnesota, George. There are people listening to this podcast that weren't around when John Randall was playing, but he was absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, they should do the same thing Derek Brown did. You know, go and look it up because it won't take long to realize he was unbelievably dominant. Uh, and so, if that's a guy that they, if that's where your ceiling is, uh, your future is incredible. That's for sure. No question about it. Just like Chase Young, and a lot of people think that his ceiling could be even higher than that. Some people have compared him to every great pass rusher from Deacon Jones to Lawrence Taylor. I think that might be a little bit much, but he is one of the best pass rushing prospects I've personally ever seen. He drew a lot of attention today. Yeah, absolutely. He was a dominant kid at Ohio State, obviously. Took over some games at times uh, for the Buckeyes. He, he was he had the biggest crowd probably since Joe Burrow and like Joe Burrow, you know, he pretty much could have worn a Redskins hat up there on the podium because I think we all know where he's going (laughs) barring some kind of crazy trade or unforeseen circumstance. Uh, He'll be the number two pick overall. And he was talking a little bit today about, you know, what that would mean to him just because he's a, he's a Washington DC kid. uh, Went to the Massa high school, one of the big high school powerhouses in the country. Uh, So a chance for him to go home. I think that would, that would mean a lot to him. 
He's the top pass rusher in this class on the outside. But the number two guy, arguably, is Clavon Chason from LSU. There's been some buzz that if the four top offensive tackles were to go ahead of the Jets, that Chason could be in play at number 11 for the Jets. It's something I would be okay with. I know a lot of Jets fans are itching for offense no matter what, but they desperately need an edge rusher as well. So I wouldn't hate it if Joe Douglas identifies him as perhaps the guy that could be the Brandon Graham of the Jets. Brandon Graham, of course, the dominant edge rusher from the Philadelphia Eagles. Admittedly, I need to watch more tape on Chase on myself before I make a final verdict on how high I think he should go. But he's also said he met with almost every team. And I love this quote from him, George. When asked about where he would fit, he says he could fit in any system. Put a blindfold on me, get me in there, and let me go. That's a guy you want on your team. Oh, 100%. And he was adamant about that. He, he did not care about 3-4, 4-3. None of that matters to him. Uh, he's one of these guys with blazing speed. I think everybody at LSU is that way, right? I, their offensive linemen are probably incredibly fast there. It feels like uh, he, he's, he looks like he's got that basketball body. You know, some of those defensive ends come in and you get that kind of feeling from them. That, that's sort of the way Chase Hunt is. Uh, he's another guy like the Penn State kid where I think his – college production doesn't necessarily match all of his tools and so people are wondering is he a guy that has a chance to be even better at the next level get the right coaching get the right scheme uh you know get used the right way stay healthy you know all those things are important and i think this is another kid with an incredibly high ceiling uh and i think he's going to get drafted very high just based on traits you know his tools it's rare to find a kid that has the physical gifts that, that clavon jason has Let's stay in the SEC and go to Alabama. Raquan Davis had an ankle injury that kept him out of the Senior Bowl, but he says he's feeling much better. Looks like he's going to participate in the drills at the Combine. Yeah, and I think this is a big week for him. He's one of those guys in 2017. He was a really big name. Everybody's talking about him. He's kind of everywhere. Uh, fell off a little bit in 2018, kind of stayed at that level this year. And now you wonder, you know, can he get back to that ceiling? Uh, I think he's got to show guys. He's got that bend. He's got that, you know, that's what everybody wants now. And it used to be his defensive lineman. You hear a lot about, oh, let's get those big run suffers in the middle. And, you know, maybe if Tennessee and San Francisco keep doing what they're doing, maybe the league will start moving back that way again at some point. But right now, I think everybody, they, they want guys with twitch. They want guys with, who can move, you know, uh, especially short area quickness. And I think that's one of the things Raekwon Davis has to go out there and show that, that he can. You know, be a guy in, in, in small areas who can get around, you know, get those, those quick first steps, get around those uh, interior linemen and, and put pressure on the quarterback. George, I want to talk about Neville Gallimore from Oklahoma. I love this line. He said his go-to move to get the quarterback on third down is the bob and swat. Not entirely sure what he means. I sort of have a visual, but that's something. Yeah, I'm not even 100% sure what he meant, but I thought that's a great quote. I've got to run with that. Uh, he didn't, unfortunately, he didn't demonstrate for us. I think that would have been even better. <laughs> uh, but he's, he's a guy who's a little bit smaller, you know, which a lot of these defensive guys that were in there today are towering monsters of guys. And Gallimore, a little bit smaller. Uh, I think he's going to be one of those, the four three teams, I think, will like him the best. You know, one of those interior defensive linemen there who gets upfield, make plays in the backfield. Uh, those guys are always popular for an obvious reason. And Gallimore, just physically uh, looking at him, he, he seems to fit that mold. There's a local kid 
And I say local because he's a New Yorker, even though it's upstate. So if you're in New Jersey or the New York City area, he's not super local, but close enough when it comes to college football because really Syracuse and Rutgers is what we've got here in the local area. And that's Kendall Coleman from Syracuse. He said he feels a lot more relaxed this week. He's an Indy native, George, so you know him well. And he's training with a guy who is one of Indy's favorite sons, Robert Mathis. Got to tell you, if you're looking to train for this combine with somebody and you're a front seven player, Robert Mathis is a pretty good choice. It's not a bad place to start, right? I think that's a, a pretty good. There was an interesting story. Uh, one of my colleagues, Joel Erickson from the Indianapolis Star, uh, he just started on him earlier this year. And, and Coleman told him that they were talking about spin moves, you know, working on that. And he said, I'm sitting here with my guys. I'm not doing a spin move. I'm not going <laughs> you know, like to subjecting myself to that. So I think that shows some intelligence, too, on Coleman's part. Uh, he was a really loud, outspoken guy today. I think he, you can tell he's comfortable. He's back home. He talked a little bit about one of his uh, high school teammates was Terry McCollin, uh, McLaurin, the big breakout receiver last year for the Redskins. So in this process, he was talking with him, you know, what should I expect? going to be like what i say in these meetings and he also talked about and you'll hear this from a lot of the draft guys kind of a dream come true right now you come in here you get to go to these meetings you see guys you know shake their hands people who you've seen on tv your whole life growing up uh it's a big deal and i think it's, it's fun sometimes to see the kids acknowledge that aj epinesa from iowa is somebody who's attracted a lot of attention but kind of a polarizing prospect there's some people that really like him some that are sort of lukewarm on him and a lot of people think that he could be one of the top pass rushers in this draft not number one because that's chase young but he might be in the battle for number two i don't think he's a fit for the jets because of his size and the scheme i don't think that he fits as anything more than a down lineman because he's 285 pounds but again, he's interesting for Jets fans because if he creeps into the top 10, that could push somebody else down for the Jets. He was at the Combine today. What do you have to say? Yeah, you know, he was talking about versatility, and I think that's something that he's going to want to play up because, like you talked about, different teams and are going to see him differently. I think Indianapolis would look at him and, and want to bump him inside in all likelihood. Uh, with that size and that speed, you know, they'll look at him as more of a three technique than as a defensive end, I would think, the way they want to play. And so, you know, he was kind of acknowledging that and saying that, you see, you know, a lot of them will say this, but he said he's open to whatever. You know, teams, you want to put him on the field, he doesn't really care how or where, just you know, give him a job and, and let him get out there and do do his thing. I think that's what they want to hear. Uh, that's what most of them say. It's, it's one thing to say. It's another thing to go out there and do it. It'll be interesting to see, can he make that adjustment if he needs to, you know, can he change positions at this level? Guys like that, I think they used to call them tweeners. You don't hear that word as much anymore. Uh, but I, that's that's the way he kind of strikes me. You know, as one of those guys that every team's going to look at him a little bit differently. And so, once again, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And I think that's another reason, honestly, that Chase Young is so popular. I mean, he obviously had a great run anyway. Uh, but I think it's hard to separate the guys behind him. And so, if you know, there's one guy who feels like a sure thing. It just pushes him even further up. We talked about how Clavon Chason made a big point of talking about his scheme versatility. Another guy who did that was Julian Aquara from Notre Dame. He said teams have been comfortable with him as either a 4-3 defensive end or a 3-4 outside linebacker and believes that versatility is one of his biggest assets. Yeah, and he's another guy who's been talking to a lot of, of the Irish who are in the NFL, uh, just trying to get a heads up on what to expect, not just this week, but, you know, in the coming months, as you try to 
to get drafted and go and report to your team. And, you know, it's a big time for these guys. And I think he was a guy that was talking about, I got a lot of friends in the league and I've been basically calling them every day, you know, trying to find out, I just pick their brain, you know, what's next and, and how do I handle this? This is probably a smart way to, to handle things. I think Aguar is a guy had a, a really good final season at Notre Dame this year. Uh, I think he, he's one of those kids that, that are here that really helped themselves on the field this season. Uh, he was well thought of beforehand, but I think coming out and, and putting on tape what he did uh, in 2019, it pushes him up a little bit higher. Now, when he's saying, you know, I, I'm not going to be stuck to a, to a specific team, I don't feel like I have to be in one spot or another, uh, it just helps me even more. Neville Gallimore, to me, had the best one-liner of the day, but his Oklahoma teammate, Kenneth Murray, really won me over by talking about how much he loves watching film and breaking it down and how he wants to let teams know how cerebral he is and how much he thinks about the game. It's an interesting approach. It's not something you hear a lot of players talk about, but it sounds like he's trying to position himself as one of the smartest players in the draft, and to me, he probably is one of the smartest players in the draft. Yeah, and he said that that's really – he looks forward to these interviews. You know, they only get 18 minutes here. And so a lot of the uh, personnel guys will tell you that's not enough time. You know, it's, it's barely enough time to say hello. Uh, but there is a little bit of, that they can do on film work and, you know, get them on the board and things like that. And he said uh, – Murray said that that's really his favorite part of this whole process, getting in there, showing teams what he knows, how he can think on his feet. Uh, you know, obviously it's something coaches love. You can get a guy like that in the room. Uh, they'll fall in love with those guys really quickly. And I think Murray's going to be one of those guys uh, that, that maybe we're not talking about as much right now, but he's probably going to go pretty early. You know, whether it's on the first day, whether it's early on the second day, he's probably going to come off the board pretty quickly because someone's going to look at him and think he's a coach on the field. And, and that's sort of the way he presented himself today at the podium. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's talk about one of the most intriguing prospects in the entire draft. And some people believe that he may be the most talented player in the draft. That's Isaiah Simmons from Clemson. He might be a linebacker. He might be a safety. He might be a hybrid. What we do know is that he is a playmaker on the defensive side of the ball. And you can use him in so many different ways. The comparison that I saw that I really liked was Derek Brooks. I think that that fits. And any team would be thrilled to have somebody like Derek Brooks, who, by the way, is in the NFL Hall of Fame. He had some fun things to say about the various things that he can do on the football field. Bit of a Swiss Army knife. Oh, absolutely. He even used that term at one point. You know, he talked about being a Swiss Army knife and, and thinking that that's, that's his fit. You know, when they talk about where do you see yourself in the NFL, he said that's what he wants to do, go somewhere where – uh, you know, they give him some freedom and, and there's a creative scheme and defense coaches understand and, and want to make the, the use of all of his abilities. And I thought it was interesting when he was talking a few years ago, this might have been a negative for him. You know, that idea of a positionless player uh, used to be a, a label you did not want. Uh, it, it was kind of right there with tweener, you know, people just not, not sure what they were going to do with you. And if you couldn't give them a really clear picture of what the future looked like, then, then you probably were going to slide down some draft for it. And now he said he thinks the way the game's changed, the way things are looked at today, it's a benefit for him. You know, that versatility and the fact that he can do so many different things, uh, it's actually pushing him up the boards. And I think he's one of the guys who's pretty well, pretty much guaranteed to go in the, in the top ten. Uh, and to me, he's going to be one of those guys that will be really interesting where he lands because I do believe that, you know, the right coaches and staff get him in there and, and actually maximizes all these things that he can do. 
uh, he could be one of the more fun guys to watch in this league. I really like this quote from Simmons. He said, the name of the game now is stopping tight ends. Something has to be done to stop Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. I'm a guy that can do that. That is exactly where this game is going. It's a very important skill set, and he's right. He can do that. Yeah, I think it shows you. You know, he studied the league. He understands the, the, the landscape that he's coming into. And also he understands his worth and his role. I think sometimes that's one of the toughest things for rookies to, to, to kind of glob onto. I know you've seen it, I'm sure. Again and again in New York, we see it here. And guys trying to figure out it's not the college game anymore. You've got to play a different way. You've got different responsibilities. You've got different goals. Uh, and, it's, and to me, Simmons today really came across as a guy who understands that. He knows uh, the way the pro game works, and, and he already has a vision for how he fits into it. He's another guy that's very, very interesting in the sense that a lot of Jets fans would be very upset, I think, much like Clavon Chason, if the Jets were to pick Simmons. I think they'd be even madder about Simmons than Chason, not because Simmons isn't a great player, but because people are tired of picking non-premium players, particularly on defense. But Simmons is so good and can be deployed in so many different ways that I wouldn't hate the pick if he fell to 11. I don't think he's going to, though, George. I think he's going to go in the top 10, maybe even the top 5. And again, he's somebody that could force an offensive lineman right into the Jets' lap at number 11. Yeah, I think he's definitely a guy Jets fans should look at, you know, as somebody who can push down uh, those guys that you're looking for. You know, and I think that's, it's, that's what's going to be so interesting for the Colts situation this year. You're sitting at 13, and it's a, it's a really interesting spot. You're probably going to get a really good player play your cards right but what position that's going to be uh i think this year after you get past that top two everything's so wide open and the, the big question right now to me with this draft are the lions and the giants is one of those two teams ransom off that pick somebody come up there to get justin herbert and then will there be a run on, on jordan love you know will that make people kind of rush on the quarterbacks push them all up we've seen that happen before is this going to be one of those years or is it going to be a season like last year where really after Daniel Jones went six, I think Haskins lasted all the way to 15. You know, it was a little more rational behavior than, than we see in the past. That that changes everything, you know, and you know that as well as anybody. Once the, that quarterback frenzy or panic or whatever you want to call it takes hold, uh, it changes everything below it. No question about it, and I'm curious to see how it plays out in this particular draft because we know Burrow is going to go number one to Cincinnati. There's no mystery there. Tua is most likely going somewhere in the top five, if not to the Dolphins at five, then to somebody else who trades ahead of the Dolphins. And then you've got some wild cards in there. We talked about Fromm. We've talked about Jordan Love, obviously Justin Herbert. I wanted to talk also about somebody who got a little bit less attention at this combine than somebody else that went to the same school as him. We talked about Chase Young getting a ton of attention. His running mate, Malik Harrison, didn't get anywhere near as much eyes on him, but he's somebody who could be a contributor at the next level. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. He's a linebacker, uh, and he was really open on, on the podium today talking about the fact that uh, when he was in high school, you know, he, he didn't have really big goals. He thought he'd come to Ohio State, play a little bit, maybe be a late-round draft pick. Now he's a guy people talking about going much higher than that. Uh, and, and he had a real, you know, star turn for the Buckeyes, especially this year as they ran uh, to the college football playoff. And he said there were really some people in his life that he felt like kind of helped him get there, that helped him realize what his potential was. He mentioned Luke Fickle in particular, former Ohio State defense coordinator and interim head coach who's now the head coach of Cincinnati. He talked about his dad and he talked about his little brother. And that the little brother thing was interesting because he said this was a kid who, you know, wherever he went, 
Uh, he wore the same jersey as Malik did. He chose the same number as Malik did. And just knowing that this kid was so inspired by him and he had such an influence on him, it drove him to, to, to be better and to, to reach his full potential. And so I thought that's interesting. But he said now, you know, as much doubt as he had going into Ohio State, as much as those three people helped him understand he could compete and, and he could play well there, he has no such doubts coming into the combine now. You know, he feels like he can compete with everybody here and he's ready to go and show what he can do this weekend. One player I was looking forward to seeing do some drills at the Combine was Khalid Kareem from Notre Dame. Unfortunately, though, he's got a torn labrum. He's not going to be participating. He's going to have to wait for his pro day. Yeah, and I think that was an unfortunate thing because, you know, he was talking about, like, all of the guys here do, how badly he wanted to get out there and show what he can do, uh, but just medically he can't. The, the surgery happened on January 21st, so you're talking about really fresh right now. He's hoping he'll be able to do some things at his pro day. Uh, but even there, he's probably not going to be wide open. So it be interesting to see what that does for his draft status. He's another guy like Aquara, who I think really took a step up this year with a strong final year uh, with the Irish. And I think that helps you, you know, in, in the whole process. You never know what teams are going to do. Some team may have been in love with him, loves his film, doesn't care about, you know, just wants to know how that, that labor is healing. And they won't care about anything else on that level. Other teams, you just never know, you know, until they get there and they, and they get on the board. Uh, you never know how that's going to affect you. George, the Carolina Panthers have a brand new head coach, and that's Matt Rule, who comes in from Baylor. That's something that's very painful for a lot of Jets fans because many of us wanted the Jets to hire Matt Rule last year. Instead, they hired Adam Gase. Hopefully, Gase turns things around, but I think the early reviews are not particularly positive on him. And now Rule instead ends up going to Carolina. One of his former players, James Lynch, said that Everybody at Baylor took pride in changing the way people thought about the program during the season when they ended up competing for a spot in the BCS National Championship Final Four. This is a kid that is an interesting prospect, and I'm curious to see if perhaps there's a reunion in the cards with his old coach, Matt Rule. Yeah, you got to connect those dots right away, right? I mean, I think that's one of the things that happens when a college coach gets hired. You start looking at the guys that, that he's worked with, and I think Lynch is a guy uh, who, who's like so many of these defensive line prospects this year. You know, it's going to be basically which team and which system, and you know Matt Rule knows them as well as anybody. Uh, but I've heard people talk about him as, you know, maybe an early day two guy all the way down to maybe late in the fourth round or even the fifth or sixth round. So he's all over the place. There are some people out there who look at him, and I think his body size and things like that sort of speak to it, who look at him as sort of a, a poor man's version of J.J. Watt. I think if a team feels that way, and if that's the way Matt Rule feels, uh, I think you see him go earlier in the draft. Uh, other guys, you know, it, it goes back to that, is he, is he quick enough to fit our system? Is he big enough to fit this other system? Uh, those are the questions everybody needs to, to have answered, and really only the individual teams can do that. But I think Rule's presence here. Other people will probably play off of that. How do the Panthers kind of treat him? How do the Panthers treat him in this this process? I think other teams will kind of use that as part of their information gathering as well. George, one thing I love about the Combine and the Senior Bowl as well is the opportunity for some of these smaller school kids that don't get as much exposure during the season to get eyeballs on them. You've seen throughout the past players that have ended up becoming impact players from these small schools one guy who really took a leap last year was Nathan Shepard, who the Jets got in the third round from Fort Hayes State. We're hoping that he ends up taking yet another leap in 2020. And if you go back 
to the 1995 draft. The Jets got a small school gem who lit it up at the Senior Bowl. That guy was Hugh Douglas, who went on to have a tremendous career, won Defensive Rookie of the Year with the Jets. Later on, went to multiple Pro Bowls with the Philadelphia Eagles and had a ton of sacks. I still remember Dave T. Thomas, the longtime scout on Chet Copic's old show, New Sport Talk, comparing Hugh Douglas to Chuck Smith before the draft. I think that was a comparison that ended up bearing some fruit. One of the small school players that is there at the Combine that is a very interesting prospect to me is Appalachian State's Akeem Davis Gaither. He's somebody that a lot of people don't know about, but I think after the Combine they might start to take some notice. Yeah, I think he's one of those guys that's really going to pop when they get on the field. You know, he's he's very athletic, one of these freakish kind of guys. I think he, the testing for him is really going to be a big part of this this package, and it's going to push him up even further. Uh, but he's definitely on NFL teams' radars. He's one of the small school guys that everybody's talking about. Uh, very productive in college, and you know, the name I keep hearing thrown around with him is Darius Leonard, who obviously people here in Indy are, are very familiar with. He was South Carolina State. Uh, there was a lot of hand-wringing and, and hair-pulling and, and upset behavior when he was picked. I mean, you know, how can you take a guy from that small school this soon? Uh, not really two years in his career, not really much of that still here in Andy. Uh, so I think if, if Akeem Davis-Gaither can can live up to even you know a part of that, I think he'll be a really good find for somebody in this draft this season. George, anything we missed? George, one, there was one... A uh, little anecdote that I thought was really interesting today it goes back to Derek Brown. We were talking about him earlier, you know, probably the top interior guy on on this defensive line. And I know Daniel Jeremiah said that he's got the same grade as a defensive tackle. He's got the same grade on Derek Brown as he has on Chase Young as a defensive end. So, uh, guy was really highly thought of, uh, both in in scouting circles and just on the on the eye test. Uh, he was talking about playing basketball in high school. Somebody asked him what position he played. He said center. And then somebody said, well, what was your playing style? And he just said, dominant. And he could have just dropped the mic right there. So that was another idea of, of sort of his mindset and uh, you know, the kind of player that people are going to get with Derek Brown. Very interesting little anecdote to end the show for day number three of the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. George Bremer of CNHI Sports and the Herald Bulletin. Thanks so much for coming on. We're going to do this again tomorrow. These shows have been so much fun. I feel like I'm learning a ton about this process and some of these prospects beyond just what we've seen on tape, some of their personal stories, some of their character coming out in these interviews and during the press conferences. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about them tomorrow. And hopefully we'll have some intel on Justin Herbert throwing. Because as I've said, while the Jets are not going to draft Justin Herbert, the idea that somebody in the top 10 might could be a huge thing for the Jets. Because if Justin Herbert jumps into the top 10, that means somebody gets pushed down. And it increases the possibility that the Jets get a tackle that they want at number 11. George, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. For anybody that wants to follow you, wants to read your notebook on this and get all your notes on what was going on at the Combine, how can they get a hold of you? How can they read what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Follow me at uh, haroldbolton.com. That's where all my stuff is. We've got an NFL Combine section down on the page uh, just for this week. Uh, it's been a crazy week. Today in particular, we're, we're going to do the Ken Law story, which I think is just an incredible tale. Uh, and then you follow me on Twitter at GM Bremer. Go ahead and follow George on Twitter and make sure you're reading his work because he's absolutely one of the best out there. 
Before we go, just want to remind you, if you haven't subscribed to the show, if you could go ahead and do that, it would be awesome. It's easier for you and better for us. So if you haven't done that yet, please do so. And if you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes, we really appreciate it if you could do that as well. It's an easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it goes a long way in helping us out. So if you could do that for us, we'd be really grateful. Also, don't forget to sign up and subscribe to Joe Caparoso and Connor Rogers' brand new podcast series, Badlands. The episode from yesterday with Alex Jimo, who was the team reporter in 2016, was absolutely unbelievable. There's an incredible story in there about Woody Johnson taking Alex aside and asking for her opinion after the Jets' blowout loss to the Chiefs. And that ended up leading to Woody Johnson having a closed-door meeting with the team. How on earth did the team reporter end up making the owner want to have a closed-door meeting with the team? Make sure you sign up for the podcast and you'll find out all about it. Today's episode features Jason Fitzgerald of OverTheCap.com. And they'll talk about how the Jets got into all this salary cap mess over the years, how they can get out of it, and how they can better use their resources going forward. Thanks again for listening. We will be back with Day 4 from the Combine with George tomorrow. In the meantime, don't forget to go to the place that is your home for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.